Welcome to another episode of PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski, and your time is valuable, and so is mine. So this is why I'm releasing a series of brief episodes focused on singular clinical topics. This time, let's talk about deep venous thromboses, DVTs. And what are they? Well, it's a blood clot in the deep veins of the limbs, chest, abdomen, or the cerebral sinuses. And most of these, and this includes in my practice as well, occur in kids that have been recently or are currently hospitalized. So there's some risk factors there that you want to be aware of. There's two peaks of incidence, and I obviously see the latter. Kids that are less than a month of age, often in the neonatal intensive care unit, or in adolescents or teenagers. And kids will present based on where the clot is. So if it's in one of the extremities, an arm or a leg, they're going to have pain and swelling sometimes of warmth and redness, which can be mistaken for an infection like cellulitis or abscess or a local vaccine reaction. If they occur in the superior vena cava, you'll get SVC syndrome. And so that is swelling and purplish discoloration of the head, neck, and the upper chest. So basically anything superior to or cephalod from the clot just gets all swollen because you ain't draining. If you have a blood clot in the intra-abdominal veins, You'll have vague belly pain, splenomegaly, or you could even have a GI bleed or hematuria. And a cerebral sinus venous thrombosis will give you headache, vomiting, or in rare cases, seizures. If a child has an indwelling venous catheter, you might see signs of malfunction, right? You could have difficulty infusing or aspirating blood samples. So often, home health care and the parents will be the first one to identify these. And so why do we care about DVTs? Well... The answers are pretty obvious, right? You're worried about pulmonary embolism and increased mortality and risk overall because of that. You can also get valvular damage due to chronic venous insufficiency. This pain and swelling of the limb is debilitating, and this can challenge patients through reduced physical exercise tolerance, changes to their peripheral nervous function, or even breakdown of the skin if the swelling is severe enough. And what are the main risk factors? Well, Virchow's triad, the old eponymous triad, stasis, vessel injury, and hypercoagulable states, it still applies in, in kids and teens, but what leads up to that happening in kids is a little bit different. The most common risk factor in children and adolescents is having a central venous catheter. And as you've experienced, these are in children with other problems, multiply hospitalized, recent trauma, surgery, short gut syndrome, cancer. The highest risk type of central venous line is a femoral line or lines that are multi-lumen. So a double or triple lumen line also increases the risk. And the list of clinical conditions that increases your risk of DVT is pretty broad. The most important one are cancers like lymphoma and leukemia or congenital heart disease. Those two sit at the top of the line. But you can have sepsis or bacteremia increase your risk of a DVT, along with intestinal failure, so short gut kids, neuromuscular disease, nephrotic syndrome. Nephrotic syndrome is due to the loss of antithrombin-3 and those other little tiny proteins that the kidney keeps dumping out. Thrombophilia that is either genetic or inherited, significant traumatic injuries, anatomic anomalies, and just kids that are hospitalized for a long time, they can share multiple risk factors from that previously mentioned menu. And as you've learned, the most risky medications include oral contraceptives, steroids, 
and asparaginase, which obviously is only given to children with certain malignancies. The diagnosis is primarily made because of a high index of suspicion and the use of Doppler ultrasound. This could be bedside if you're trained and credentialed or via trained ultrasonographer. Ultrasound is better for lower extremity DVTs versus upper extremity DVTs. Sometimes, especially if your index of suspicion is high and the ultrasound is inconclusive, a magnetic resonance imaging venogram or a CT venogram can be required as a backup modality of imaging. And obviously, if you've got something inside the brain, a cerebral venous thrombosis, you're going to need head imaging. An MR venogram is a better study. Talk to the radiologist before ordering one of those. There are multiple different treatments and, and seemingly more are being released every day, but obviously adults get access to those meds before children because of the proportion of DVTs that we see in adults and the available evidence. You've got good old-fashioned unfractionated heparin, which is a short half-life agent and monitored by following APTT levels. Low molecular weight heparins, like Lovenox, are the most commonly prescribed agents in children, and they are as effective or more effective as unfractionated heparin, but they have less risk of bleeding. And you do that twice a day, and you follow anti-factor 10A levels. Direct thrombin inhibitors are intravenous bivalarudin and argatroban, which block the effects of thrombin, and you monitor by following APTT levels. And then there's vitamin K antagonists like Coumadin, you follow the INR, and at first you have to start this with another anticoagulant like heparin, because protein C and protein S are also vitamin K dependent. So you could see transient hypercoagulability before Coumadin gets to a working state. You've got selective antithrombin dependent factor 10A inhibitors. Haven't seen those as much clinically. And in adults, at least at this point, there are oral anticoagulants which are approved for DVT therapy, not quite in kids yet, but they are coming down the line. Okay, so that's it for this brief episode on DVTs. Remember, diagnosis starts with a high index of suspicion, and the symptoms will vary depending on where it's at. Know that ultrasound is a diagnostic test of choice unless it's inside the head, at which point you're going to get an MRI. And ultrasound is better for lower extremity versus upper extremity DVTs. If you identify a DVT in a kid, chances are they're going to have other risk factors and you're going to need to talk to their subspecialists as well as hematology for management. I hope you enjoyed this brief episode focused on a singular clinical topic. Again, I want to get out as much educational content as possible and I think that this respects your time. You can go ahead and check out PEMblog.com, my website, for more great pediatric emergency medicine educational content. Follow me on Twitter at PEMtweets, or if it's still your thing, go ahead and check out my Facebook page. I would love if you drop me a line, either via email, direct message, or comment on the blog, or even a review on your favorite podcast site. The feedback is always appreciated. For PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast, this has been Brad Sobolewski. See you next time.